Open Mind UFO Radio. My name is Alejandro Rojas. I will be your host for today, and I hope that's okay with you all. And I have a co-host joining me for the news, and that is Martin Phoenix Willis. Phoenix, like I'm rising again from the ashes? No, because you look like River Phoenix. Just kidding. No, you're right. You guessed it right, because you're rising from the ashes. You're reborn because, uh, as people may have remembered from last week, your network imploded. Yeah, well, it's still going to stay up for about 30 days. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going around on uh, websites and forums mm-hmm. about it. But um, talking with Keith Roland, the Dark Matter Digital Network is going to stay up for at least a month because they have to, for one thing, they have to continue with all their monthly contracts. So they're going to last for one month. The only thing is, is I'm not going to be live on that show anymore, but I've still wanted to do my show live. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping the, tam- the same time slot, which is Wednesday at 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm live streaming from my own website, which is podcastufo.com. Exactly. I'm going to give that a try. We had, um, I don't know, somewhere around 1,000, 1, 1,500 live listeners, and I hope... At least a portion of them will come over. You know, the majority of listeners are podcast listeners, but I'm hoping some of the live listeners will come to the site and we have a chat room there and all that during the live show. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I'm sure a lot of people, because it's fun. What's fun about joining a live show is being honorary. That's right. And I, I do get some of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean being honorary as a host or as a, Someone in the chat room. No, I meant to someone in the chat room, but do you, do yeah. you get Henri as a host? No. Um, you know, it could be this um, this week may Ooh. have some honorism because um, I have Stan Gordon on to kind of talk about points why he doesn't think it's a GE Mark II satellite, and John Ventry is going to be on the other side. It's going to be a debate, more or less, on why he thinks it it is. Uh, uh, Owen... Uh, uh, I can't remember his last name. Owen did not want to be on because he said he did not want to get involved in a cat fight. But uh, it should be hmm. kind of interesting. I hope there's a, a little bit of honoryism, but I hope uh, um, it will be an interesting show. So it's a, it's about Kecksburg and whether that was at G, uh, GE, General Electric Mark II, uh, that was a re-entry vehicle or not. Uh, according to Stan Gordon, there's a lot of information out there. And according to a NASA satellite engineer that i am communicating with there's a lot of information that's saying that's not not what it was yeah so and to catch people up who aren't aware uh you and i actually did an entire show (laughs) where we didn't talk about just this but we talked about this among other things and the technical difficulties kept that from being recorded completely unfortunately right yeah but uh yeah in 1965 
in December, people saw this uh, fireball. Some people said that it changed directions, um, but this fireball, something crashed in the forest, and then the military came and retrieved it. Um, it was uh, it was also popularized by um, Leslie Kane, who right. uh, citizens for what was it? Um, I forget how what the name of her something against government secrecy or something like that. Uh, but uh, she led an effort that was backed by NBC to get NASA to reveal information about what that was. They said they didn't have any information during that whole campaign is when John Podesta, who is now working for right. Hillary Clinton, came out and said, we need to release all the UFO files. And uh, but yeah, and and yeah, I because you know what? There's been they found here's my take on it. Want to hear it? Yeah. OK. It's probably similar to yours in that this thing was acorn sized. Um, and yeah. people had – there are cone-shaped um, cones to rockets and missiles of, of many types, and many people suspect that's what crashed in the forest, which is possible. And uh, this is just another theory of yet another cone-shaped object, uh, but there's no evidence that this particular Mark II GE unit was – flown at that time or anywhere around there there's no records of anything like that so um it could have been in any number of cone-shaped space debris um it doesn't have to be this mark too yeah um yeah i it's probably something terrestrial that did come back down that did not burn up in the re-entry you know that's very possible but um i i just think this should be more along the lines of added to the possibilities instead of like okay close case exactly case Def case closed i mean yeah <laughs> yeah no i feel the same exactly in fact there's less uh correlation with this mark ii than there are other possible space debris so i i think there's better possibilities out there but that uh that you're exactly right this is it adds to the list of possibility it's interesting speculation at best well one of the things i do want to point out is um owen eichler i think his name is uh, you know says that this thing was controlled um as it came in as it re-entered it was controlled that's why it did the big u-turn it supposedly did before it crashed and why it went away from city population well the nasa uh satellite engineer that um heard about the show and their claims said that's impossible to do even today on re-entry there's no way to control something on a re-entry yeah i think they're they're mistaken in that it does have booster rockets to control it when it's in space right to move it around in space but not during re-entry because and there's a lot more different. involved in that as yeah. far as the energy available to uh, activate those rockets yeah. and and all that Right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, it'll be interesting. The little that debate. will be very interesting, though, and mm -hmm. that's someone I need to have. I want to interview uh, in the new year. That's going to be that's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> my New Year's resolution is to have Stan Gordon on my show because I've never gotten to. I've talked to him over email. I think I've even used him, quoted him uh, in stories before, but uh, I 
and you know we i think we were going to arrange it before who knows what happened but uh over the years but i've never i don't think i've ever had him on yeah he's a nice guy i've had him on once but he's he's very pleasant to talk to and he he's a fact you know a fact guy he likes to talk about facts which is great you know i'm I'm a fan of his work and and what he does uh so I, i i i think he's great so uh, that ought to be a, a wonderful show. Where can people go to listen to that live and be Henri on the chat? It's podcastufo.com. And they can call in and be uh, doubly as Henri. That's right. The phone number is right on that website. Mm-hmm. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. We've had that happen a few times, and that's always interesting. I'll bet. Yeah. So, um, other news. Let's get into Well, I guess I could share who my guest is. Yeah. Um, this is pretty fun. Uh, it's another one at another uh, international show uh, in that our guest is Don Mears, and I interviewed him from Australia, and he is the creator. He's a filmmaker, uh, and he just made a documentary called Australian Skies. So uh, he's, like I said, a filmmaker, and he works on a lot of different projects, and he's worked on UFO uh, shows and stuff before, um, but he decided to do his own documentary because he met some interesting people that he felt uh, should be focused. Essentially, people he feels, or people who feel they can sense when a UFO is going to be around, they go out and they film it. And in this documentary he put together, he interviews these guys and puts uh, some uh, exclusive footage in the video of uh, objects they've caught on video and uh, that he thinks, you know, are are unexplainable. So uh, this is one of our entries at the UFO Congress this year uh, Mm. for the film festival. Of course, once we get we get all of our entries, they're due by January 15th. Then we have judges look at those, and we really want to have the turnaround quick uh, and choose the top three in each category, long form and short form, uh, and those will be shown at the conference. So they're in the running for possibly being shown at the uh, festival and possibly getting an EBE award. So, uh, so yeah, so it was. it's really fun to talk to these guys, you know, uh, all the way from Australia. So uh, that's, right. that's the show today. There's a lot going on in Australia, and mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sure it's the same with you. Is a, I think Australia, as far as listeners to my show, is a, like second or third, mm-hmm. always, you know, consistently each month. Yeah, yeah, we get a lot of Australians, which is which is fun. And according to him, you know, they don't have a whole lot of Australian uh, organizations and stuff, and so they do pay a lot of attention to the U.S. Uh, and what we're doing out right. here and you know who's a big uh he loves australia and he does a lot of tours out there talking about the paranormal uh is uh yeah. yes i know what you're gonna say who nick no oh never mind yeah no yeah okay see what happens when you assume yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. no actually um it's ben ben hansen right yeah he is there a lot yeah so uh he he loves it out there. So actually, what's kind of funny, he was—he just got married not too long ago, and I think it was right before the marriage or right after he did this long tour out there. And uh, he took Travis Walton with him to at least one of the events. So um, pretty cool. So Australia, great place. I would love to visit that I have not been. I haven't been there. 
Same here. Mm-hmm. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to go there. Yeah. So that's I've who we've got on. So a lot of fun. We'll talk to Don in just a minute. But before we do that, let's talk about some UFO news. And usually we let you start that off. And um, what you got for us, buddy? Well, um, I would like to talk about a seasonal thing because the title of this is UFOs Shaped Like Christmas Trees, uh-huh. reported over Tennessee. Mm-hmm. For uh, it is the season. Right. So a Tennessee witness at Bluff City reported watching two sets of UFOs shaped like Chris, like a Christmas tree with lights, which uh, seems pretty strange, don't you think? And that was uh, case number 73064 from the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, Roger Marsh posted this story. And this happened back on December 10th this year. They were traveling along the... Chinaquapin Grove Road during a drive from Carter County into Sullivan County. And this is a quote from the witness. At first, I saw them to the left as I was sitting in the passenger seat. But at first, it didn't strike me as odd. Uh, Shortly after that, I saw them on my right, just above Holstead Mountain. There appeared to be several of them, and they appeared as if they flew in sets of two. Kind of like reindeer, right? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. One set was traveling side by side while the other set hovered over the mountain, but were not side by side. One was above the other. And they mostly resembled Christmas trees and were flashing as they were in the sky. And they did not have the mountains or trees in their background. Um, Also, they heard um, a helicopter flying low with a spotlight came through the area. And it was actually... uh, was sort of chasing or following one of the Christmas tree craft, uh, which a lot of times you do hear about helicopters in the areas of sightings. So it's an interesting one, and uh, I thought it was kind of seasonal that, uh, you know, maybe it's a, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's I don't think I've ever heard of any Christmas tree UFOs before. There's one famous one. Oh, there is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and that reminds me, that is related to a big announcement that I have. Wow. See how things all tie together sometimes? Yeah, and how my crappy memory gets triggered uh, (laughs) so I can remember the really important uh, updates that I wanted to say on the show. I can remember to do them. And often I just plain out forget. But yes, there's a famous Christmas tree UFO. Can you think of that? No, I... This is the first time I've ever heard of one. Close Encounters. Really? You know, they call the Close Encounters UFO the giant Christmas tree. The one at the end, kind of an upside-down Christmas tree as it rises, you know, as it floats up behind the mountain. I saw that movie at the theater when it came out. What year was that? Oh, I think it was in the 70s. Yeah, and I've never seen it again. You're kidding. (laughs) I should, though, just to, you know, just to look because I know... J. Allen Hynek was in as an advisor. Mm-hmm. I'd like to actually rewatch that sometime. I, I love that movie. Yeah. I mean, I watch that movie quite regularly. It's one of the movies that I've watched the most probably in my life, along with, you know, Star Wars or other movies. But yeah, it's an excellent movie. And that, that, that UFO is often referred to as the Christmas tree. Um, yeah, you don't hear of a lot of those. But um, that movie. 2001 and Blade Runner 
I know where you're going with this. <laughs> See, now you know where I'm going. Those are three movies that I watch the most, that I absolutely love the most. Um, but, yeah, Close Encounters has the Christmas tree. Guess who is in charge of uh, this? The um, special well, effects. Well, you're going to know. The special effects for that Christmas tree uh, in Close Encounters and those others uh, of my absolute favorite movies. Uh, is this first name begin with a D? It does. Last name begin with a T? It does. Doug Trumbull. That's right. And why is that so exciting? That is so exciting because announced here for the first time, we are going to have him at the UFO Congress. Yay. So wow. I've been telling people that we've got this special guest. If you go to the website, you see Sunday morning, we have a spot for a special guest. I sent out an email that said one of my absolute all-time heroes, may not be yours, but he is mine, uh, is going to be coming to the Congress. We just had to, you know, finish, you know, confirm. He had to make sure. He he confirmed. He said yes weeks ago, but uh, he wanted to be sure that he is absolutely sure his schedule would be cleared up because um, he's got a lot going on. And one of the things he has going on is that he does a lot of film. He does his own film work. Uh, he does commercials. And a lot of these commercials, he works with a man named Mark D'Antonio. Which, of course, uh, you and I know and my, our listeners will know well because I have him on the show often. He's a good friend. He actually is one of the administrators of the Open Mind GFO facebook group and he's a photo and video expert analysis for the mutual ufo network so um mark and doug also have an interest in ufos of course he's been on your show and my show to discuss that uh and they've got this ufo project that they are doing so they are both coming together to the ufo congress sunday morning together they will speak about their ufo project and UFO i talk. Yep, UFOTOG. Um, yep, UFO which is kind of a, it's like Photog and UFO mixed together. Uh, UFOTOG. So, yeah, extremely excited about this. I think it would be cool, you know, for those guys too to, to talk with the, the CubeSat guys that, hmm. you know, I interviewed at last week. You interviewed the Cube, one of the CubeSat guys too, so they can maybe work together on the technology that they'll put on the satellite. But anyway, I am very excited about this. Of course, a lot of other movie people, uh, everybody here is really excited about it. If you've been to the UFO Congress, you probably might have noticed that we have a all-terrain vehicle that has a like a, a IR camera kind of thing mounted to the back. Uh, honestly, it's mostly for display more than anything. But that was inspired by Doug Trumbull because his first UFOTOG mm. Uh, project was to put all of this telemetry, these cameras and and telescopes and everything on this hum Hummer, right? Uh, and uh, so it was a UFO hunting Hummer, and uh, that inspired our little ATV there. So, uh, so yeah, so we're really excited about this. I, I mean, this guy's a legend to me. Uh, two absolute legends, Jacques Vallée and Doug Trumbull. Um, how freaking cool one. is that? Yeah, it's going to be a great, great UFO Congress. I yeah. can't wait. Yep. So, really exciting. There's the news. That's it. I know All you right. were hoping that I would have that, that confirmation on Wednesday so I could share it on your show, but... Yeah. 
That's all right. Yeah, it's still happening. So cool, right. huh? And thank you for bringing up the Christmas tree UFO story because that helped trigger my memory. Great. Well, I hope you have a great, happy holidays. Well, I'm not done. Let's talk some more news. Oh, dear. Yeah, I there's some... Said, so that's it for the news. No, no, no. Well, that's it for that up that news, that update I about see. the Congress. And you're probably not going to edit this out, are you? No. Okay. Do you want me right. to? It's okay. I'm not gonna, even right. if you want me to. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. If you really wanted me to, but come on, let's just right. roll with let's it. Let's move on. Yeah. 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 Because there's an other exciting news I wanted to talk to you about. And you probably saw this. So. What's that? I thought so. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple other things. But this is a really cool one. I get really excited about this. Oh, and here's another bit of information, too. Actually, I'll be speaking about this at the next MUFON Symposium. So I'm going to be doing a talk about... Um, well, hopefully it was okay for me to say that. But I'm going to be doing a talk about official UFO uh government agencies and one of the countries that has an official government agency is argentina they have a group called cefa e which is slightly different than uh our mutual friends at cefa ah but their organization is called the commission for the investigation of aerospace phenomena it's part of their air force and um they announced that they were going to create a group back in 2011 Actually, I think they first announced they were going to create it in uh, 2010, late 2010, and then created it uh, in like May 2011. But we haven't heard anything about them since um, until recently. And the reason we all hear about this, the reason we often hear about uh, Latin American um, UFO stories is because of this great website, Inexplicada, which is uh, subtitled the Journal of Hispanic Ufology. Um and at this website, they had a story. It's a great website. You know, I re reference it quite a bit. You might too, probably, because uh, there's so many stories um, that they generate there. And I should mention it's ran by Scott Corrales. Uh, so, yeah, that they, you know, there are some South American researchers who kind of just wanted to go check up on them, and they found that they have a site, and lo and behold, they had a report that they just put out. They put this report out in November. It was for 2015 sightings. It's the Argentina Air Force's uh, UFO group's first report on UFOs that they've posted, so that's exciting. And it, even though it's for 2015, they explain how it, it actually spans sighting reports from November uh, 2014 to November 2015 and interesting enough a couple of interesting things about the report they only take reports that are accompanied by photos and videos hmm. yeah so that's kind of interesting uh, they in the report uh, is the analysis of 12 different cases most of these cases this is which is kind of weird too um, are from January 2015. So something like six of these cases are, are from that one month alone, which is kind of strange. But um, essentially they did find prosaic answers for all of the uh, cases, but they just don't blow them off. They give you uh, a bit of analysis to show you what investigation work they did to find out that for the most part these were either satellites 
or stars or in some cases a bird, uh, stuff like that. You know, just like stuff you and I talk about where a lot of these sightings turn out to be just those types of things. And so uh, it looks like, you know, they did some thorough investigation. They did some work on this. The website's really weird. It's like three or four paragraphs. It's text only. <laughs> And there's a link that says submit your report, but make sure, uh, you know, we only accept reports that include photos and videos. And then uh, a link to their 2015 report. And that's about it. It's the most simple website I think maybe I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's just a plain white website with text on it. So very simple website. And what I did, though, however, is it's in Spanish. So I translated it for everyone. And uh, if people know uh, me well and they've listened to the show, they know that I speak amazing Spanish. I'm just like, <laughs> you know. Two words? Yeah, Taco yeah. Bell. No, actually, they'll know that I don't speak Spanish. My brain doesn't work well for learning languages. You know, uh, we lost it. Like, my parents went to parochial school. They couldn't speak Spanish. If they spoke Spanish, it was slapped. Literally, wow. my grandparents spoke Spanish, but there were so many of us cousins running around at the time. We we only spoke English, and I've tried. I used to try really hard to learn Spanish, and I know a tiny bit. I can understand. Like when I read it, I can kind of often get the gist of what what they're mm. saying. But um, so I can translate some words here or there. But so you have to bear with me because I just use Google Translate. To translate this thing, which did a pretty good job, I think. So it's just Google translated. Of course, you could have done that yourself, but I figured it might be convenient for me just to do it for you. So I've Google translated it there for you. But um, you also have a link to the original uh, PDF file for those of you who actually are uh, able to read Spanish. So. Yeah, that, that's kind of, for me, exciting news that I was afraid that this Argentina organization, this uh, UFO department for the Air Force, disappeared. Like maybe they were going to start it and they decided not to because we've heard absolutely nothing. So it's hmm. nice to hear something. Uh, and another cool thing is they're working with civilian UFO researchers. So you see them reference some uh, civilian UFO researchers who they said that helped them with their analysis. Now, I wonder if they're just, you know, they just work with so many reports like low-hanging fruit where they could easily explain, or are they checking out all the reports coming their way? Do you know about that? Well, I think they they give the um, impression that they're investigating all the reports that are coming at them. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not that's the case, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, given that they uh, allege transparency, and they are, I mean, the very first thing they did was meet with a bunch of UFO researchers. Uh, and they have regularly, from what I understand, um, to get their input and to have them be a part of the process. I mean, how amazing is that? What if the Air Force, you know, had regular meetings with like MUFON or something to talk about UFO reports? Of course, unfortunately, here in America, lots of people would get all conspiratorial about that. But I mean... It's cool that they do, you know, meet with civilian researchers to get their input. Right. Um, so you would imagine that those guys are keeping a close eye on them because Argentina does have some uh, UFO groups that are very active. Um, in fact, before this organization started, one of the things they did was they wrote an open letter to the president 
and they handed her this letter. Um, I forgot how they got access to her, but they were able to hand her this letter, uh, which may or may not have been effective. Nobody knows for sure, but it seems as though it might have been because it was soon after the Air Force uh, had announced that they were going to create this uh, organization. Um, so I don't know. I, who knows how transparent they are, I guess. That's the way it is when it comes to government, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's um, I think it's great, and I wonder if um, they're working with their. Well, I don't know if Chile is uh, quite a neighbor, but you know, in South America, I wonder if there's any type of uh, work they're doing together as far as uh, helping set up the organization. I think so. From what I understand, that they do have open communication together. Um, of course, the uh, it's funny how they are with their acronyms because uh, whereas yeah. the Chilean group is CEFAA, C-E-F-A-A, uh, this group is C-E-F-A, and the way they, they spell it, it's F-A-E, but they put it capital C-E-F-A, lowercase e. Mm. I guess just to be a little different and to set themselves <laughs> apart, but uh, yeah, so CEFAE which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, from what I understand, they are working together. Uh, Jose Le has said that he's been working with them, uh, and uh, supposedly there has been some um, – they've been helping each other. And Sefa, ah, of course, you've spoken with Jose Le as, as well as I have, who is the international kind of uh, outreach director for uh, the Chilean organization. Uh, he says it, it seems as though they have a lot of transparency – um, Leslie Kane, who we mentioned earlier, is kind of the U.S. representative for them, and uh, she goes over there occasionally, and uh, they seem to be very transparent um, and open to the idea. So, Right. I always call them Jose Lai, too, and it's Jose Lai. That's how Oh, it is. It. It's Lai. That's right. Yeah. Oh, like everyone pronounces Leslie mm. Kane as Leslie Keen right. and Jose Lai instead of Jose Lai. So. Yeah. Yeah, because that's how this. He was just was. visiting it, um, her in New York um, last week. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, I was in touch with her last week. So cool. Yeah, he's a great guy. I really love Jose. He's he awesome. Is. Yeah, and it's exciting that South America is so open to the topic. So I have just yeah. one more sighting I'd like to talk about if you got sure, the yeah. time. Oh yeah. Cool. So this is a video out of Texas, where the Texas witness captures a clear. UFO crossing the sky. So in this video, there seems to be a type of ring. Uh, this person said he caught this at 8.30 p.m. on June 12th in 2014. Uh, it has been investigated um, by MUFON, and uh, it was closed as an unknown. Um, they, they estimated the size uh, to be two to three feet in diameter and that it was about 500 to 700 feet in the air. And it's very faint. In fact, like on this laptop, I can barely see anything in these pictures. In fact, if you see the headline picture for this story, you might be like, hey, that's just a blue sky. What are you trying to pull on me, Rojas? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I hate you. That's a sort of feedback I might get from some of the trollers like to say that sort but if you look closely you can see sort of this faint ring so um in the open minds ufo group on facebook there's been some people kind of speculating about it some people saying it could be birds in a circle flying together in a ring 
Or uh, I think what might be more likely, uh, for instance, Mark D'Antonio, who we mentioned earlier, said he thinks it could be a smoke ring from like a diesel truck or a diesel engine or something like that. And we have seen smoke rings. In fact, there's um, a trebuchet or something similar that they launch at this festival in uh, England, and I forget where, but it creates a very pronounced smoke ring. And there's been at least a couple occasions where people have taken pictures, and that's become a UFO story. Um, mm. uh, so smoke rings do happen and get mistaken. They can travel a distance and get mistaken for something mysterious. But, uh, yeah, this is a very interesting uh, video. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just a portal to another universe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's it. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the, the witness felt that perhaps it was a cloaked uh, disc of some sort, huh. but uh, portal to it, another universe is, I think, uh, much. Yeah, it's much more believable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I wonder if out? this thing would have shown up in, in the nighttime as anything. Probably not. I doubt it because yeah. it's a dark color, and uh, maybe that's why you can barely see it in the video. It's eight thirty, but this is the middle of the summer, so it usually doesn't get dark till what, like nine nine thirty? Yeah. Um, I think that's the longest day. What day was it? It was like June twelfth, so it's yeah, it's nine really days close. away from the yeah longest day in the year. So, so yeah, you could see it's daylight. But uh, another reason why this sighting is interesting is the Houston Chronicle picked it up from our website and wrote about it. So uh, huh. uh, our friends out there in Texas may be seeing even more news about it. All right. All right. There we go. So that's all the news. You got anything more? No, I do want to say happy holidays to all your fine listeners. Happy holidays. <laughs> happy holidays. The UFOs are flying, and Martin. We got to rehearse. I, I join yeah. in, but we have to rehearse. Yeah, I know, because that's yeah. getting really bad. I can't come up with any words, so we'll just end that our holiday singing uh, right there. Thank goodness. That's enough for okay. for this holiday, I think. Right. <laughs> okay, so um, there we go. Do you are you guys going to have a white Christmas out there with snow and everything? No, it's going to be 60-some-odd degrees wow. the day before Christmas and 54, I think it is, the day of Christmas. That's the same temperature out here, I think. I know. It's been a, a crazy year. The leaves are blooming. The flowers are coming out. Wow. Strangest New England winter I've ever seen. Really? And I have to tell you, I am absolutely loving it. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah. I mean, I'm in... A T-shirt today walking around, working outside at my property. So Wow. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, much better than the snow and ice and all of that stuff. Yep. And uh, it's a rare – I've never seen it like this in my entire life. Most of my life has been spent in New England, but I've never seen it like this. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you have a wonderful holiday week, and um, are you going to have a show on Wednesday? Yes, I'm having my first live show on my website Wednesday. Perfect. Great. So yep. I'll be uh, – hopefully – is that okay if I come on your show again and do some news? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I might even have – there's um, – believe it or not, I live in this little town in Maine up on top of a mountain, and um, it's next to the second biggest lake in Maine. It's really beautiful. And one of my – the listeners contacted me is uh, coming to his lake house, and it might be sitting in studio with me. Oh, how cool. Wow. And he's been to Reynolds Force. He's really into the topic. 
Oh, cool. That's awesome. That will be fun. Well, great. Well, then I guess I'll talk to you Wednesday, and uh, and you have a great one. You too. All right, Alejandro. All right. So let's go ahead and speak with uh, Don Mears. I am happy to have on the show Don Mears of Australian Skies. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you. It's always fun. You're out there in Australia, right? Yeah, we are definitely a long way away. We were just talking about the uh, four different time zones. Almost we yeah. have to get together to actually have this chat. Yeah, that's always difficult, the time zones, because when I do international, you know, I, I had it easy this time because I told you my time to get started. And, you know, I'm always terrified when, you know, someone <laughs> overseas gives me their time and then I've got to you know, figure out when that is. And so I know it can yeah, be difficult. You need a degree in physics or something like that to work out some of these things sometimes. Yeah. But it's always fun to be able to connect. Um, that's the magic of, of Skype and the Internet where we can talk like this. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. We wouldn't have been able to do this uh, mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, that's for sure. Yep. So your movie is called Australian Skies. The the uh, latter part of Australia um is spelt like aliens and uh, I guess tell us about your movie Australian Skies it's a independent film that we we started filming last year it began in December and uh, we wanted to do an Australian documentary there, there's really not that many documentaries out here to do with ufology and uh, just partly because it's a very small community out here. We've got a small population in Australia of about 25 million people. And uh, there's just, it's, it's difficult to get a project up and going. And uh, but we were determined to do it. And we wanted to do something different, I suppose, for Australia, from an Australian point of view. Is, uh, we wanted to have a look at uh, photographic contactees, people who alleged that they get a feeling before they experience uh, or, or they they see these strange objects in the sky. And it's quite unique in the way that they actually get this feeling and it, and it enables them to prepare a camera. And uh, we actually uh, were basing the film along those lines kind of. And, and the, real, the real point of the film was based with photographic contactees, who can experience these things and, and have almost a feeling of when something's going to appear, would it be possible then for your average everyday person to experience something as well or to at least see what it would be like to experience it? So that was really the kind of the thought behind the film. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't watched the film. Uh, I've got to copy it, and one of the reasons I haven't watched it, I, I figured it'd probably be better because you've submitted the film to the uh, EBE, the film festival at the UFO Congress, and uh, you know I'm a judge for the first level, so I didn't want to seem biased or anything. Um, so I didn't want to yeah. be out there saying, "Hey, this is an awesome film," but I wanted <laughs> to have you on to talk about it, so that um, because it it's a really interesting project related to this field, of course. So. When now, what is your background? Have you done other films? I, I'm a camera production person, and uh, we, we our, our business works with a lot of big live production over here in Australia. But we also do content and uh, also documentary work. So that's where my position is. Uh, I, I don't consider myself a contactee or anything like that. 
However, um, I've always had an interest in ufology and the paranormal, and it's a topic that I um, find really interesting. And, and look, and from a technical point of view, we just moved all of our gear up to 4K like a year and a half ago, 4K cameras, and we had a couple of them, and we wanted to try them out and do a project that we owned as opposed to working on projects that had directors and producers telling you what to do and, and all this sort of stuff. We wanted to really have something that we could put our hearts into. And uh, so that's where really the thought, we, we thought, look, let's go for an, an Australian ufology documentary. And uh, so that's, that's where it sort of started. And we, um, when we started it all off, we, we were going to, I, I was going to UFO conferences and I'd been invited to a couple of them all as well, just through my work, doing stuff, you know, uh, documentary work and things like that. And so I was going to conferences and listening to a lot of speakers. And it was at one of these uh, conferences that there was a gentleman from Australia who got up to do a talk. His name is Damien John Knott. And I had no idea who Damien was. And, uh, he was a photographic contactee, and I didn't even really know what the term was back then. And I sat through the conference through his talk, and, you know, it really struck me. He was a really interesting guy. He was very uh, down to earth, and, and his whole talk was based on uh, these photos and videos that he'd been capturing for the last couple of years. And all he was really doing was getting up there and showing the photos and the videos and talking about how he got them and where he got them. And he wasn't really preaching. He wasn't trying to give an answer or anything. And he actually seemed really level-headed and very grounded. And uh, we just thought, you know what, he'd be a great guide, someone who could talk us through this the underground world of Australian ufology. And uh, so you know, we, we approached Damien and asked him if he'd be interested. And fortunately... He uh, said, yeah, and uh, so really the film is uh, based around, I suppose, Damien's experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we sat down and he had, he'd been on, he had a reputation for, he had a large amount of footage and he kept it pretty underground. He'd only been really sharing it uh, through, through private UFO groups and uh, he wasn't really in it for trying to get a reputation or a name or anything, and he had thousands of these clips and videos and things like that. And uh, so it was like, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when we went over and had a chat with him and went and met up with him and sat down and had a look through his stuff. And for us, for me, it was like, this is actually pretty amazing to see a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, from there, which was good for us because it didn't mean like we could actually have video of objects and have someone to talk about what they captured as opposed to, say, other documentaries or, or UFO shows or whatever that are going out hunting UFOs and waiting for something to turn up. Our, our approach is like, well, there's already a ton of footage here. And, and from Damien as well, he introduced us to other uh, photographic contactees like Liam Freeney, who also had a lot of footage and was having a lot of strange experiences and sort of, uh, I suppose, a lot of... Uh, he was also having a lot of government sort of things or, or I suppose the term would be unwanted attention from an official body hmm. sort of experiences. So, um, yeah, so that's where we, we headed into it. Well, that's really interesting. So that's kind of exciting. I mean, your film is going to include stuff that uh, American audiences most likely have not seen then. 
Yeah, that's right. Look, when we a lot of the stuff from Damien has never been seen, and and Liam, Liam was hadn't shown anything, and and it was mm. we had to go in and be introduced in and sit down and be vetted and make sure that he was comfortable and and the the footage that he had and the experiences he had, and it wasn't just his experiences. I mean, these guys talk about how they might have this unwanted attention from, you know government bodies or men in black and all this sort of stuff but uh these guys had the video to back it up as well and the photographs they'd been documenting everything in the age of technology the, these guys were ruthless in taking cameras everywhere and and um you know their whole lives get caught up in this this is not just like a game for them this is real and it affects their families you know they've got jobs they've got families and children and things and then suddenly this strange paradigm sort of unlocks and they find themselves you know uh facing off with something that they can't explain mm -hmm. and it's not just them and then they're suddenly their wives are seeing these things with them their friends are sent their kids and uh unfortunately these guys have enough hindsight to actually have cameras on the standby filming this stuff and it's, it's quite surreal because you're seeing footage of of structured things, stru structured craft, you're seeing black helicopters hovering over houses in the middle of Australia with pilots looking out at them and you, you can hear in the background kids laughing and pointing up and talking and comments from the family and stuff like that. It, it was uh, quite shocking for us. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to get more into those guys, uh, but I do want to start off uh, with how you got involved with UFOs. I mean, what, what first turned you on to the subject? I grew up, look, first and foremost, I grew up in, I suppose, the age of Star Wars and, <laughs> and uh, Close Encounters, you know, and that generation, we were all swept up with the phenomena of, of films, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, so there was always that interest. And I, I'm not a person that experiences anything, really, but the in 2003, my wife and I, my wife's also my DAP as well, my wife and I were at a at our place, and we saw something in the sky that was odd, and uh, like a, a silver greyish ball, like a ball bearing up here. We just noticed it while we were looking out our window, and uh, it hung around for a while, and then went away. And then we were laughing and joking about it, going, "Well, that was really odd. Probably a balloon or something like that." And I was joking, it might have been a UFO. Sort of saying, look, if it comes back, that was definitely a UFO. And then, sure enough, you know, ten minutes later, the thing came back hmm. and called my wife over again. We're looking at it going, now this is this is really weird. And then the thing disappeared again. And then, sure enough, we saw a helicopter come over. And and you know, you you have an experience, not an experience, but you see something like that. And for someone like me, uh, I think the I think these things have a different importance. For different people sometimes people can see something like one-off and it might change their lives so i think for a general population of people though a lot of most people a lot of people around the world see have seen at least one or two strange things themselves and i think that what happens is they, they see it and they go wow well i know it wasn't a balloon i know it wasn't this i know it wasn't that it was just that was really weird that kind of fell into the into the unknown basket and they get on with their lives you know they get on with their jobs and paying their rents or paying their mortgages and raising families and but what happens is that experience, that, that little memory sits at the back of their mind and, and 
in years to come, they might be flicking through the channels. They might come across a UFO documentary and they might stop and go, actually, I just want to watch this because I just want to see if I can see something that we saw. And, you know, they might comment back to their wives or husbands or partners and say, remember the time you saw this, you know, and it's just this memory. And I think what that did for me was with the film, it definitely did change the tone of the film because instead of like a typical media company or a documentary that comes in and decides that they're going to interview people, specifically contactees, and then have them have the contactee reveal something quite personal about themselves and then have a cut shot where you might have a psychiatrist pop up almost trying to explain away why these people were experiencing something and cutting them down. We went from a different angle because for me it was like, well, no, I'm actually interested in this because I think I've seen something a little bit odd way back when as well. Mm-hmm. So for the film, that the whole tone of it was, as opposed to going in and, uh, you know, being ruthless with these guys and, uh, you know, trying to cut them down or anything, what, what would happen if you could get a, a, a small camera crew to actually embed, you know, embed themselves with these guys for a week or so and listen to what they had to say? And, and try and work out, as opposed to trying to just straight away work out what these objects were in the sky and, and trying to debunk them and, and cut it away and all this sort of stuff, turn the direction around and just asking them, why do you think you're seeing them and, and what happens when you see them? Is there anything that happens leading up to it? Is there anything that you think might have triggered this off? And getting into these really nitty-gritty sort of questions that mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we ask enough about. Mm-hmm. So you began then, uh, or before you did this project, you worked on other um, projects that were, uh, were some of them then UFO related? Uh, yeah, we done. We had a couple of bigger projects leading up to this one. We, we had some paranormal ones, which were commercial sort of uh, documentaries. And uh, we had done some earlier stuff way back in 2008 uh, for National Geographic on, uh, it was a small funny segue sort of thing on Area 51, uh, National Geographic in Australia, just the Adventure Channel. Um, so there, the, the topic had kept rearing its head for me, you know. <laughs> it, it was always when I had time, I would always try and go back and uh, and like to explore the ufology and and I suppose the paranormal elements to it. Not so. Yeah, the paranormal. I think that a lot of these categories cross over, mm. and uh, when you talk to a lot of these people, you, you can see that, that the element of high strangeness was always there. And so I was fascinated with that kind of component as well, the crossover. Mm-hmm. So when you first were faced with this concept of of that people could get a feeling and take that take pictures um, or get capture video. What were your thoughts? Were you skeptical? I was, you know, look, yes, uh, you know, skeptical. I, I tried to be neutral mm-hmm. and open to it. I think at the back of your mind, you're always thinking that uh, perhaps what they're seeing could be drones in the sky because, you know, the inundation of drones nowadays all around the world is amazing. And uh, we actually, in the film, we, we, we have a drone pilot in our in our production and we, we took Damien out for a day with the drone pilot to put some drones in the sky so he could use his equipment that he uses to see if we could 
debunk what he was, or not debunk, but perhaps the, uh, allocate some of the sightings to being drones in the sky mm-hmm. and uh, to let him talk to drone pilots and hear and see the characteristics of how these machines work and what their restrictions are, their flight times and things like that. Um, so we did actually do that, uh, which was our initial intention. And we had some... <laughs> The funny thing was when we we were doing that, the tables uh, to a certain degree got a little bit turned on us because we had a couple of strange things happen with the drone on the actual day of filming. So Mm. uh, the initial intention for us to maybe do some debunking kind of got flipped a little bit. (laughs) Probably as opposed to us, as opposed to the camera crew or the production crew trying to find solutions or an easy sort of way out. I think it probably raised more questions for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so then, you know, you meet Damien, um, and the first lecture that you were at where you saw him speak, um, did you immediately then find, you know, uh, his photos and uh, compelling? And did he also show videos? And you being a videographer, you probably have the ability to, to spot things that others might not have, birds, bugs, and stuff like that, uh, since you have so much familiarity did yeah, you we, were you looking for that kind of thing? Yeah, we were definitely going through things and uh <coughs> excuse me, we, we saw his footage. Uh and there were the, he had a range, a vast range of different things he captured, a lot of video, uh a lot of photography. And uh actual fact that there was so much of it. It was a bit over the top, really. And I think, you know, I think there's elements of misidentification possibly with some things. I think that's inevitable with all ufology because mm-hmm. if something's unidentified, it can easily be misidentified. But at some stage, even after being misidentified, if it can be rectified and, and then explained from future knowledge, then that that's definitely plausible. And I think Damien had carefully gone through his stuff and had categories of things that he had, you know, possible balloons, possible this, possible that. He was pretty careful in the way that he went through and uh, was always very cautious with what he would put out and, uh, you know, talk about. And he had a lot of stuff and he filmed a lot of balloons and he'd gone out and done a lot of aircraft filming and spent a lot of hours tracking aircraft to get to understand flight characteristics especially night filming of aircraft, uh, satellite using apps and things like those. What a lot of modern uh, sky watchers do now, using apps, app technology to track satellites, also to track aircraft and things like that. Um, so, yeah, but there were still some of the, the this element of his footage that he had in there that were, yeah, very strange. Very strange. And same with Liam as well. Liam, same sort of thing. Very careful what he did and, and used to go out and practice. But then there would be some things in there you go, wow, that's really odd. And it was also mixed with the audio on the clips, I suppose, but also their own testimony. And also it wasn't just about the objects in the sky. It was also how this phenomenon affected their lives mm-hmm. as well. And... Uh, this unwanted attention and uh, all the different elements that kind of ran parallel to 
So what did you see at first? What really compelled you? What was maybe the first piece of footage or, or what sort of footage? What were you seeing in that footage that was um, uh, abnormal and really made you take notice? Yeah, look, if you go to, if some of your your listeners, I want to go to have a look at some of the um, the promo trailers for the film. There's a, the first one was the one that was like, wow, what the hell is that? It was a, uh, it was one of Damien's clips and it was a large cigar shaped white object and he had some interesting reference points in it because the way he'd framed the shots, uh, the, the top, uh, the left hand side of the frame had a tree. Uh, I believe he was filming from a front porch or something like that. And the front, uh, the the left hand frame of the um, of the camera shot sort of had a tree as a reference point. There's this long, white, I suppose cigar shaped object moving erratically behind, like up in the sky, <laughs> and it had a uh, white orbs coming out of it, like bursting out of it almost, like you know, and buzzing around it, doing odd shapes. You know, it's just a very odd, strange. So there was that one. Uh, he had a couple of still photos of more standard sort of UFO-shaped craft. Uh, he then had some night shots of really strange. Uh, some of them had diamond-shaped and structure to them, and then others were like plasma orbs and plasma orbs. Uh, and then there was other ones where he was talking about how the white orbs, white and red orbs, are the ones that seem to perceive most of, and four of these things up above him in formation. Uh, so, yeah, some of them. And I suppose then across over to Liam. Liam had some really interesting footage of UFOs, but I think Liam was a slightly different one. Liam was more to do with the government attention. Liam had spent a lot of time and been filming and getting harassed a lot by the black helicopters. After a sighting, sometimes two minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, after he would see something, the helicopters would arrive. And Liam had amazing footage of black helicopters literally hovering over his prop, over his backyard or property. And as reference points, he had the telegraph lines that link all the houses up to the main communication, you know, tele, tele, just telephone lines. So there's a reference point in there, and you can see these helicopters coming in, the black helicopters hovering, and with guys opening with open doors with their white helmets looking out at him, filming them, and vice versa. So... Uh, it's one thing to have the clients when you start to see the footage and then you get the testimony behind it. And, uh, yeah, it was very weird. So when you first, um, you know, realized, hey, this is real, you know, when you first uh, began to believe that, uh, assuming you did, and it sounds like you did, that they were right, that they would get a feeling and they would go outside and capture this stuff, what was your thought processes? Did that have an impact on you and maybe your worldview? Um, uh, was it baffling <clears throat> for you? Yeah, we uh, look throughout throughout a lot of the production. I tried to keep it pretty um, pretty level headed 
and trying to be fairly neutral. Uh, as far as our crew went, half the crew were a bit indifferent, not indifferent, but like definitely sceptical. The other half, though, experienced a couple of things throughout the production would definitely change their point of view. I stayed fairly neutral because there was just so much going on that I had to do. I had to keep my wits about me, mm-hmm. although through the production we were getting having some weird things happen with our camera gear, focusing issues and cameras shutting off, which I can still discount as being coincidence, but the the, uh, coincidences were building. Uh, But I kept pushing them away and staying fairly neutral about it all. And uh, it wasn't until possibly the very end of the production, we were out at nights doing just night filming just to learn about equipment setups and things like that that these guys use that... We uh, actually saw something come in which we couldn't identify, and went through all the uh, Damien went through all the processes of knocking things out with using technology to, to verify if it was an aircraft or a satellite or anything like that, and it was coming up as not being any of those things. And the funny thing is, when you look through a camera, you're very safe. The viewfinder of a camera for a camera person mm-hmm. is a very safe environment and it puts you in a very surreal state. And it can, you can be in a dangerous situation, but as long as you're looking through a viewfinder, you, uh, you can almost be very peaceful about everything and, and almost not indifferent, but very zenned out. And, uh, at the end, when we were, saw this thing come across and uh, managed to start to do some filming of it, uh, we had some very big flashes of light happen in the sky, which as I'm filming, I'm seeing out the corners of my eyes and the whole atmosphere is changing. And I think for the first time, that was that was really when I uh, I went, you know what, I, am, I actually think that I'm actually going to, this is, I'm a part of this now as opposed to just someone who's filming this. And that uh, freaked me out. That, mm-hmm. that, that was at the end of where I kind of went, wow, okay. This this could be something to this now, <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to just as opposed to a series of, of coincidences or, or speculation or or whatever. Yeah, they, this could actually there could be something to this whole thing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And and one of the reasons I ask is I kind of had a similar. Um, experience early on when I was a MUFON investigator, you know, I had a lot of people coming to me and I was skeptical of this concept saying, you know, they believe they're being abducted. Um, and, uh, and, and luckily I guess they felt safe with me cause I had a lot that, you know, I began to work with. And, yeah. you know, a person who said that a couple of people actually, but one in particular who said, you know, I filmed these things often. I feel like, you know, I, just am able to see them she said come on over and spend some time and and we'll see them and i was skeptical and i was like okay she's probably misidentifying stuff and we went out there and it wasn't like and i thought she would probably sit outside for hours but no she was like i think we should go outside right now and within like 10 15 minutes this was on two or three occasions and we became friends and hung out quite a bit but uh uh, it wouldn't take very long before we would see something that to this day that I can't explain. Nothing spectacular, but just like this little white orb way back out in the distance, but it would move a short distance, stop, fade out, little later, fade back in, move another short distance, and then fade out uh, a few times. And it's something I couldn't explain. And for me, it really was like, to this day, it baffles me. 
Uh, and I think it changed kind of, it really opened my mind even further to, uh, I don't know what that was, but, uh, you know, that there, these mysteries exist. And especially when you witness them, you can't deny that. Exactly. And look, I, look, I'm hearing exactly what you're saying. And that's where I'm at. That's, you, you finally see something not just hearing about other people's kind of things and blah, blah, blah. And regardless of whatever it is, I mean, regardless of whether this is extraterrestrials or something terrestrial, because there could still be something there. And when I say terrestrial, there's a whole range of things that could be. It, it mm-hmm. might be something natural. It could and something uh, governmental. It could be something quite coincidental. Who knows what is going on? And it could be something extraterrestrial. And all things linked up together somehow. But the point still remains is that there are people who are allegedly seeing these things again and again and again, and it's happening again and again. Like, I mean, regardless of all that sort of stuff, just that, those claims, or there's something going on with it. If so many people are seeing it, you know, not everyone, you know, if you, so many people around Australia, and and you, you go to these, like you say, you go to. Uh, a dinner party or something like that, you know, you've 15 people there. The topic comes up, you're probably going to find about four, maybe four, perhaps even five out of 15 people, if they're brave enough, will probably admit that they've seen something strange. Mm-hmm. If you just have a random collection of people, you know, so there's something going on with it. The point is now that we just have to work out now and start to have a good look at what that could possibly be and, and be brave enough to ask questions and to accept, you know, solutions to things if they present themselves, but also on the other hand, be brave enough things that perhaps don't have solutions. And that was one of the things we had mm-hmm. to do with Australian Skies because I was always very reluctant to put things in that were just hype. I wasn't trying to hype at all. I didn't need to hype it up. We just wanted to go in and just have something very grounded, very normal, and just see what... what you know, listen to the stories of these guys, you know. It wasn't like we were making a TV show where there's guys hunting them down or anything like that. We already had these guys with all this footage and their testimonies, and that was really what we wanted to just listen about their own lives and how it affected their lives. The, the idea of the film was to have it on a quite a personal level. But um, to actually have a couple of things pop up within it, you know, and to perhaps experience like you said yourself you see something that you can't explain it was uh, not something that i'd bargained for really mm-hmm. but definitely has changed changed the way i, I look at things for sure mm-hmm. for liam and uh damien uh had had they been experiencing this or or uh, has this been going on for quite some time with them yeah that was the weird thing D- damien had uh, yeah, he'd, he'd had it a couple of times through his life. It started when I think when he was a young boy, and that was the first time he saw, uh, I believe, an orb of some description coming up over him. And he ran home and told his mum. I think he was on his skateboard at the time. And he had a couple of things through his life, uh, but it didn't take the importance on for Damien. You know, he he had these a uh, couple of weird things through his life. But he got on with his life and, uh, you know, went on with his career and stuff like that. Uh, I think it was in 2013, though, he he was a builder by trade. And I think he'd moved to a small country town in Australia called Dunny Doo. 
and he was down there to restore an old homestead with his father. And within a couple of days of going in and starting off the job, he would come out at night and, you know, have a cigarette or something like that on, on the balcony. And he started to notice these lights in the sky and uh, his father would come out and see them as well. And, and it seemed to be from that, from being in Dunedoo, for whatever reason, it started to trigger for him to the point that he was seeing them, you know, almost on a daily basis and started to build. Liam was, again, a bit more dramatic for Liam. Liam had nothing his whole life and had a family, had children, uh, again, had, was a working man, you know, uh, working with a trade and um, getting on with his life. And then there was, he actually has a date where it kicked off for him. And he noticed, I think, prior leading up to this date, and, and that, again, was only about, I think, two years ago, that he had a feeling, had a strange feeling. I think he puts it down to close, like the guy in Close Encounters who, huh. you know, was somehow getting that strange feeling, I've got to go here, I've, I want to make a little thing out of potato salad or something, you know. Not that he was actually literally doing that, but he was just using that to describe there was something in his feelings that were getting a bit weird. So he started buying cameras and sitting up on his roof, and I think his wife was actually quite happy that he had a hobby as opposed to just working. <laughs> he thought he might be just looking. I think he, yeah, he was actually starting to get very, very interested in the stars. He was getting very interested. So he started buying camera gear and he was getting this feeling. And he was buying telescopes and cameras and stuff and sitting on his roof looking at the stars. And his wife and kids thought, oh, isn't it great? What a cool hobby, you know, this is lovely. And then um, it built and built and built. And then he was at work and he went outside and I believe he saw the first thing, and from there, it, it just catapulted him into yeah, a whole different world, really dramatic for Liam. Mm -hmm. So very different, you know, and very odd. Did either of them get obsessive about it? Um, how do you mean? To what level? What do you mean? I guess obsessive uh, to where, I mean, it, it's something that uh, they do every day, that, that they... Uh, um, spend so much time at that perhaps uh, it takes over and, and uh, as a priority and maybe even affecting relationships or, or their careers. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know if obsessive, but I think that, I think you've got to look at human nature. If 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 you were to experience this thing on as well, and something as odd as seeing a UFOs kept popping up and following you around everywhere, <laughs> I think we would all become pretty obsessive. Mm -hmm. uh, because first off, we'd want to know what they were. Second off, we'd want to know if we were going nuts. And I suppose, I mean, the confusion that they must feel. I think Damien does talk in the film about how it has affected his life and it has affected his relationships. And how when he, the after the Dunny Do it kicked off for him in the country town. You know, he was very new to it all and trying to unravel what this was and why was it happening and was, was he nuts? And so he w was going off and buying multiple cameras and setting them off because, as he said, you know, look, if I'm crazy, then my my cameras must be crazy as well because they're filming what I'm seeing. And it's not just one camera. He had multiple cameras. And then he, he yeah, in the film he talks about how, yeah, definitely don't go to parties and talk about this sort of stuff because he soon started to feel, you know, the the ramifications of ridicule and things like that. And uh, Yeah, I think it's difficult for them, you know. I, it definitely was. It definitely is difficult. 
Well, and like you said, um, because even the casual person, a lot of people get obsessed about this field, even if they don't have it as exciting or, or regular uh, uh, experiences like these gentlemen. Um, yeah. And they also often get really frustrated. Why don't more people pay attention? However, uh, I think like the person, you, the, the average person you described earlier, where they see something, kind of like how you were, and yeah. then uh, occasionally they speak about it, and that's about it. I think that's most people. They're yeah. focused on their daily lives. I, um, I think so as well. You know, they don't do conferences. They don't do this. They, they might, you know, be out with their friends or something, and it might come up, and then someone will say, hey, remember the time we saw that? Yeah, I think it's very normal, and I think uh, that, that happens – we we soon learned with making the film and the feedback that we were getting and people writing through to you that, you know, it strangely enough is a very normal sort of thing. I suppose that sounds weird to use that word, but <laughs> it is. Everyone said a lot of people said, you know, and uh, I think a lot of it. The media still like to play it up a little bit. The strange thing we had with the film though, we were getting ready for. We weren't making a film that we thought was going to go anywhere. First off, we just were making. The, the unsurmountable mods of, uh, odds of getting a UFO film, first off. Secondly, in Australia. Th and then thirdly, getting it anywhere is just, it's a David and Goliath kind of thing, you know. No one, no, there's no support out here for this sort of stuff. And so we weren't making the film to get it anywhere. We just thought we were going to make a, a film, show it once or twice. Mum and dad might turn up and that was it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, we had a in in film. Damien did have an interview when it first started for him in the country town. Through a course of circumstances, he had a a, uh, a reporter from a major paper coming through that major town and heard about through the local stuff. Damien was seeing these strange things and, and did an interview with Damien, and it got released around Australia, like in, in the press, you know. It was just a, a very coincidental sort of set of circumstances. The, the reporter at the time was down there covering big bushfires that were happening and happened to be staying in a, a little town, was there for, stuck there for a couple of days and thought, hey, look, I might interview someone local, you know. And uh, what happened was is that once we'd done the film, this reporter got back in contact. And he actually went out with Damien, and he was a, a very respectable reporter in Australia. And he actually saw some things with Damien and mm. wrote about it, which was very odd. And so three years, two or three years later, once we uh, had released the film, this reporter, just through mutual friends, had found out about this film about Damien and then contacted us and said he'd like to do a story on it. And uh, once the story happened, you know, we were obviously then got a lot of attention from the media. And what we found out here, though, that it was very odd. We were getting ready for the media backlash and to be harassed and, and to have the X-Files music playing and the rolling of the eyebrows <laughs> and uh, all that sort of stuff that I'm sure... You're, yeah, you're familiar with, oh, and yeah. we didn't get we didn't get it. We we found a really interesting tone with them, and these are the major media outlets out here where they were actually very calmly and very respectfully listening to what was said, and we couldn't work out why. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. Yeah, no, I'm serious. Major, like we were primed, and and I say this again. We we had no ambition really for the, for the film apart from to make a, a film and to have it screened and to have you know amongst the community come and watch it i suppose to a certain degree you know i mean you hope and you dream it's like little kids making rocket ships out of cardboard boxes <laughs> and you're going to make it and fly to the moon sure you hope and dream but you don't think it's ever going to happen you know 
but to then for us to actually then be asked to have interviews and, and all this sort of stuff, we were really going, wow, we're going to get butchered. And uh, no, they weren't. They were really quietly respectful and quietly interested in it. And we're still trying to work out what's going on with it all. Mm-hmm. So. so has that brought a lot of attention and uh, to your film? Like how long has it been uh, viewable? Uh, I think it's it's online streaming, correct? And then uh, yeah. has it done well? Uh, we've just it's been released now for I think only about four or five days at the moment online mm-hmm. worldwide, and um, I have no idea if it's going well. <laughs> uh, I, I, we're getting a lot of good feedback. A lot of people seem to enjoy it and can relate to it, and that's what we want. You know, that's the heartwarming kind of thing is that. Uh, you know, to have something that we've made and, and to try and show a different aspect and to try and show a little bit of humanity. Because, you know, look, you know this yourself, matey, that there people, there's a lot of people get wrapped up in this topic and um, it can get out of hand. And, uh, but uh, I suppose to have it from a very sort of, from almost like from the family sort of element and how it affects everything, it, you know, it's probably something a lot of people who experience this phenomena can relate to. Mm-hmm. That 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 sense of isolation that goes hand in hand with it, that sense of ostr- you know, being ostracised, um, that that also the all that pressure of if they feel as though that they're experiencing this unwanted attention from some sort of a government body, the pressure that must put on a family would be ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, let alone just trying to raise kids, pay a mortgage or a rent keep your job together and try and keep your, your relationships together to have that sort of pressure on top of that is enough to destroy a lot of marriages, you know? So mm-hmm. how did their families take, uh, take it? I think, I think Damien went through it all. I think Damien went through them. I don't want to speak on his behalf too much. This is his personal life. I, I'll go as far as saying that I think he went through the mill a couple of times and I think he went through some really turbulent times with it. Um, I think with Liam, uh, I think it was possibly something that was a big shock. for. Or first off, like we said, I think his family thought he had a new hobby. Then when he started coming out with all this sort of stuff, they were really worried and thought <laughs> he was losing the plot. Uh, I think, though, that once... and you know, that he's, he's got a lot of this sort of stuff on film. Once his family started to see it, they all had to sit down and go, well, okay, well, there's obviously something going on. And I think they just pulled together and took it in their stride, you know. Mm-hmm. Do these guys then think that, um, are they convinced that this is extraterrestrial? That's a good question. That is a very, very good question. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. it's changing, and you know what? That's something that uh, that's something you're going to need to ask them, because I I think it's changing for them, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, to say extraterrestrial, I mean we're talking about alien life from outer space. Is that what you would mean when you use that uh-huh. term? Correct. I don't know. There's even Damien says in there that for him it. At times, it feels like something that is almost native to the mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. something that's very old and has been here a lot longer than what we have. 
So in that regard, it's not something from outer space coming here. So mm-hmm. the definitions and terms, oh, man, it changes so much, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. interesting, though, because uh, – and I think that lends credibility to to them in that, that um, they're not jumping to conclusions, whereas uh, many people do. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing that got me straight away of Damien. When, when I first met him at the, uh, at the conference, here's a guy, Australian guy, normal, down to earth. He's, he's um, showing things that he's filming and he's talking about where and how he filmed it. And yet he, was, he would never say what it was. He would say, I don't know what it is, but this is what I'm filming. And that was where he went. He was, he was, he's always been very careful to not try and get wrapped up in saying something out of pressure or, or public opinion as opposed to saying something that perhaps let, that's happened to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's been pretty careful like that. And like even from my point of view, going to the, some of the conferences, mate, a lot of the, a lot of the talks just go way over my head. It's such a rabbit, such a rabbit warren, like a rabbit hole that you can fall down. That it, it's actually um, pretty scary. Some of the concepts and some of the things that are flying around out there. Mm-hmm. Now, and I guess you've come. To, it kind of makes sense, or you've kind of answered this. Uh, do either of them feel as though they're receiving any other any messages uh, from these, or? Yeah, from these uh, things. Again, I'm going to be really respectful. Uh, that's mm-hmm. something, again, I have to get them to answer. Look, I'll, I'll go, uh, and if I'm wrong, I'll, I apologize to these guys now. I don't know if they're receiving messages mm-hmm. from whatever this is. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure what 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 the point of it yeah like how, why is it happening i don't even know if they know why it's happening and i think that's the confusion and the frustration here's the funny there is something though that is very interesting with it both the lads that we concentrated on both damien and liam they they do have a need to share what they're experiencing and and it's almost like a burden, you know. They're they're mm-hmm. they're driven by it, like you know, like they want to share what they have, what is happening to them. And when I say that, I don't mean that it, from a point of avarice, where they're wanting to, uh, you know, they're not trying to make money from it or get famous from it or something. I mean, their their kind of motivation for it is something much more deeper. It's almost I don't know that they, they, they want to share what it is to show what is happening to them. To you know, they're trying to get some sort of a message out there and the frustration which when you imagine it here's the frustration for them they're not sure what the message is apart from what is happening to them that they're not sure what message to get out there apart from showing people what they're filming and what they're seeing and what they're experiencing but you know it must be a dreadful it would be a frustrating position to be in Mm -hmm. really interesting so this sounds super interesting and um i guess uh, so when you got that attention, you decided to, what was the process I guess you went through when you, um, decided how you were going to make the, uh, movie available for the public? Uh, yeah, we, we got attention and, uh, we just went into lockdown because uh, we got hit with a tsunami, not, not literally, but I mean, it was almost like a press tsunami. We weren't ready for it at all. We, we actually all went into lockdown 
and we were like kids hiding under the bed. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Phones were ringing and all this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, fortunately through it all, we got connected with our distributor in the States and uh, these guys came through amongst the other sort of things that were coming through and these guys were fantastic. They were very calm about and they knew the topic and uh, they were themselves, the guys who were working in the distribution are themselves involved in ufology and, and things. And it was just like, wow, that is weird. And we had to back check them and make sure they were who they were saying and who they worked for and check the company out and all this sort of stuff. And everything checked out. And uh, it was like, I just couldn't believe the coincidence that you would actually have someone who wasn't a nutter and wasn't trying to rip you off and scam you and, and was actually interested in ufology and also able to do distribution overseas for us. And so that's how we managed to then get the film over to America and from America, hopefully into the rest of the world. Without their help, we would not have been able to get it to this point. We would be locked away in Australia. We'd be, it'd be probably just ending up on, on, on somewhere just being pirated away and shoved away and just being, it wouldn't, it'd be neglected. It'd just be a wasted film, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, great. You know, well, uh, the website people can go to is Australian Skies, and like I said earlier, uh, it's Australian where the last part is spelled alien, so A-L-I-E-N, uh, so an E instead of an A for Australian Skies, and there you've got trailers, you've got pictures, and a lot of information about the film, and uh, and very exciting. You'll also be screening the film uh, at the... Or you've submitted the film to the UFO uh, yeah. EBE Film EBE, Festival. Yeah, the EBEs hold a lot of sway over here in Australia, you know, so it's like... Really? Good. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, and at what, January 15th, for people who are interested, and, you know, I'm sure you're aware, is the deadline So um, for everybody to submit their films. And uh, we'll, hopefully, our plan is to, within a week... Uh, let people know if they've made it to the next stage of being um, shown at the film fest. And um, there's a lot of great films. So there's about there's uh, a few that have been submitted so far. But uh, yeah, hopefully it makes it through for you all. And uh, and we're really happy that uh, you know you're participating. Um, and uh, people can. Uh, is there anything else that uh, you can point people to? Do you have a YouTube site or anything like that too? Uh, yeah, you just go into YouTube, look up Australian Skies, and also the Facebook page on uh, Australian Skies on Facebook. But, uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, you guys have been very, you know, great to have a film festival set up for ufology. Man, you have no idea how lucky <laughs> Americans are to have that. And, uh, yeah, for us to be able to get the film you know, anywhere into it is, is awesome for us. So, yeah, and thanks for having us on your show. We really appreciate it. Like yeah, for it. sure. Keep us up to date on what you're up to uh, and, uh, you know, with further developments and everything like that. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for being on the show. No worries, Matty. Really good to talk to you. Thank you so much to Don for joining us on the show today. Remember, you can go to australianskies.com. That is Australian, spelled A L 
A-L-I-E-N, like alien. Uh, so you could find the website where you can see his trailers, uh, see photos from the picture and the uh, from the making of the documentary. Uh, you could see pictures of the gentleman that uh, we discussed today. So really, really interesting. Um, I wish him the greatest luck, I guess, in uh, the UFO Congress. And, you know, uh, what we'll do is we'll announce very soon what films will be uh, be shown at the Congress so that uh, you can find out if uh, Australian Skies will be shown. I know there are a lot of really great in- entries, so the competition is really, really stiff this year. So, um, uh, and it's always a difficult thing, you know, that you only have so many spots, but uh, really exciting. So, this is going to be really fun. Uh, this year, some great films, and uh, we'll get those up on the site uh, probably around the 17th of January because uh, the deadline is the 15th, and we want to make our uh, announcements very quickly so that people like Don can uh, plan their travel to come out if they uh, make the cut. So exciting stuff. Um, otherwise, speaking of the UFO Congress, so like you heard uh, Martin and I speaking about, that uh, Doug Trumbull's going to be there, special effects legend who did movies such as Close Encounters, um, uh, 2001, Blade Runner, and more. Uh, you know, you can Google him to find out more about him. But of course, I've had him on the show. Uh, Mark D'Antonio and I and others have talked about him quite a bit. So, um, uh, you know, I'm always gushing about this guy. So you can only understand why I am so excited that he will be speaking at the UFO Congress this February. So it's coming up quickly. Sales are doing really well. So uh, be sure to, uh, you know, reserve a room and get a ticket as soon as possible because even though there are several hotels in the area, uh, as time goes on, you know, we sold out several hotels last year and i'm sure that's going to happen again to uh, this year so um be sure and get your tickets uh and if you're planning on coming at least reserve a hotel room uh you know because if you don't have the money right now maybe you want to wait a few weeks that's fine but make sure and get a hotel room because you can never be sure when those are going to be gone and sure enough you know every year people get a hold of me and say, oh, sorry, I didn't reserve a room. Help me out, man. And, um, you know, that gets really hard to do uh, because, of course, we have all the speakers uh, that we have to get rooms for. I need to have a room. Uh, our volunteers need rooms. So, you know, we're arranging a lot of rooms for, for that conference. So be sure to reserve a room. If you do have any questions, feel free to send an email to contact at openminds.tv or contact at ufocongress.com and um, we'll be able to uh, give you some advice. We'll help you as best as we can. Uh, Also, if you go to ufocongress.com, you will see the completed schedule. So the schedule for the conference is up. Uh, You know, those uh, that is barring any unforeseen changes or difficulties uh, with flight arrangements and all of that. Thus far, it seems like everybody's good with the times that they're going to be speaking and everything, so we're good to go. Um, So go check that out at ufocongress.com. Really exciting stuff. So uh, 
Also, when it comes to the Open Mind UFO report on YouTube, we won't have one this week, but we did have one last week, uh, so you'll have to check that out. Uh, we did some of the UFO photos and uh, videos that we've discussed on the show. We did a video about those, so you can go to YouTube to check that out. Um, we won't have a show this week, but we will have one next week where we'll talk about on YouTube, show you some pictures and photos from some of the great cases and some of the news that's going on in the UFO world. Otherwise, that's about all I have. Uh, thank you so much to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. If you go to openminds.tv and you go to the radio page, you'll see a link to his um Clerk Chronicles, where he posts his music and some of his artwork and a graphic novel and stuff like that. He's an, he's an incredible artist, so really cool stuff. But thank you so much to Caleb Hanks. I love his music. I'm a fan, like I've said many times before. Um, so also all of the news stories that we talked about, you can find at openminds.tv. Thank you, of course, to Martin Willis for joining us from uh, Podcast UFO. And thank you to you all for being here. We love having you here. We love uh, providing this information to you. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday week. And uh, whether that holiday is Christmas or Star Wars, uh, you know, when you put those up against each other, it's really tough. I might go Star Wars. That's pretty exciting so i hope you have a wonderful star wars holiday or christmas holiday or whatever you celebrate and we will talk to you next week adios muchachos